Happy Saturday. Graham Norton here from the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Oh, what a show we have for you. Mel Gedroich is at the West End with a new comedy, The Crown Jewels, and fills me in all about that, as well as some post-Eurovision chat. Reverend Richard Coles chats to me about his new book, A Death in the Parish. Show chef Martha Collison has peas, prawns and pasta. Uh-huh. And as always, Maria McCurlin is rustling through your letters, so she's ready to solve your dilemmas in Graham's Guide. But first, a weather update. Lovely sunny weather, Graham, and summer solstice. That's Midsummer's Day, isn't it? I don't like that because it means that the nights are getting shorter. I know, it's all behind us. It's all behind no, us. No, we must enjoy. We must enjoy and live for the moment. Um, I have some sad news to impart that I must tell the Virgin Radio listeners because they've heard me wang on so much about my little eight-year-old toy poodle, Dolly. And sadly, a month ago, she was attacked by another dog in a park, in a local park. And despite the vet's valiant efforts... Um, her back had been broken and we had to let her go and very, very devastated and heartbroken, obviously, just yeah. to manage to talk about it now. But um, I have got a new little companion, Graham. Um, <laughs> my friends all rallied round and found me this lovely little black toy poodle um, who I've just got called Raffi. Um, although, uh, sadly, Graham, I keep calling him Dolly. I keep misgendering him, which is very, very bad. I don't know what his pronouns are. Um, but um, I keep calling him Dolly. So then I was thinking maybe I should just call him Wally. What do you think of that as an idea? No. <laughs> No. no, I think I think the least the least you can do the least you can do when you get a new puppy is remember its name. <laughs> I think, I, no, I, think I know, that, but I'm just so used no, to. I know, of course you are, and and I should say, by the way, to the listeners, you know, off air in our lives, we have uh, we've talked about Tolly and we've cried about Tolly, and and it is so sad, but lovely to have some puppy love in your life, uh, little Raffy. Uh, is Raffy well? Well behaved is Raffi a good little dog? <laughs> no, very very badly behaved. Very, sh- it's got like two personalities. <laughs> I've created a monster. He's very shy and quiet, but also very mad and willful. And um, if I just say, Graham, that this morning I have left the duvet and duvet cover on the line because of a little accident in the night. Oh. Uh, I think tonight ha- it will be crate time, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, how how's all that going? Is it going? Is it is it slow? Is it because you? I think people forget once you once you're past this stage in your mind, you kind of think, oh, it's so easy to train them, and then when you get a puppy, you realize oh, it's really not easy at all. This is hell. I know. I feel that I feel that Dolly came sort of ready trained. You know that she'd been to some sort of boot camp prior to coming to me, but she hadn't. But um, I think my head hasn't been in the right space. I've got my puppy book, obviously, that I haven't even opened. Um, so we're just slightly winging it, but I must get on it because, you know, as you know, Graham, the first few months are very important. If you put the work in, you get a very nice dog. So we've managed to sit and we do manage to go on the puppy pads occasionally. I'm not talking about me. Obviously. I know, leading by that, example. <laughs> that was last week. Lots of people have sent me messages about the puppy pads and how useful they are, with including pictures, which we could have done without. Because um, <laughs> last week I had to use a puppy pad in the car for those people that didn't hear. Yes. Um, but, you know, we're getting there, Graham. We're getting there. And it's just, it's as you said, it's joyous to have a new little life and something that is so sort of amazed by everything. It's like having a small child, isn't it? Something yep. that's just like, what's that? A bus! Oh my goodness! I must run and hide. <laughs> no, well, I remember. Not- I, I remember um, Lauren Bacall. This was years ago. Lauren, Lauren Bacall came on the Channel Four chat show, and she was so grumpy and stern and gruff. And you know, you asked her any question about her life, she just go read the book. And you're like, <laughs> wow, okay. And then she was coming back on the show, and I was sort of dreading it. And she was transformed. She was a totally different person and I because wondered she what it, brought her dog with her or? no no she'd got a puppy she'd got a puppy she'd never had a dog oh. before and she got a puppy in her old age and it turned her life around she was high on puppy love um and it was extraordinary the effect that little dog had on her it's it, it, and uh, it, it, what I don't know what endorphins it releases but wow they were powerful yeah 
Powerful. It's all the good dopamine, really. It's the serotonin. And and also, you know, for people that live on their own, I mean, I don't like to call myself old age quite yet, Graham, but if you live on your own, it's just nice to have, a, you know, a little bouncy thing that wakes up in the morning and go, hi, look, I've done a big wee-wee on the duvet and it's only 5.30 in the morning. I thought you'd be pleased. Um, also, it's just—it's unbelievable that something could be so pleased to see you so often. You know, yeah, just every time you every go away for ten minutes, going, "Where have you been? I'm so glad you're back. I'm so excited." Oh look, I've done another wee. Oh, stop! Uh, or, all right, puppy pads down, everyone. Virgin Radio. Here we are. Here's problem number one. Dear Graham and Maria, this is very much a first world problem, but I'd appreciate your help nonetheless. I'm married to an absolutely wonderful man who I've been with for almost a decade. After this time, we're still absolutely besotted with one another and our relationship is incredibly strong. The problem comes when he goes away with work. I've found that I really struggle to be alone nowadays. There was a time, in brackets, long ago when I was single, when I was quite happy in my own company. But now I find it really hard. I get very depressed and tend to turn to unhealthy outlets to get me through the day, like junk food, alcohol or obsessive compulsive behaviour. I hate the person I become when he's away. I know I need to get a grip, but somehow it seems so much harder than just shaking myself out of it. I feel like I'm totally unable to stand on my own two feet by myself. I try to see my friends while he's away, but often find myself back in the same bad headspace a few hours afterwards, when I'm back on my own and then again moping around the house. He's going away soon for a very long trip and I'm dreading it. How can I overcome this crippling loneliness? And that is from Alex in Hove. Oh, Alex in Hove, I mean, aren't you lucky to have a wonderful relationship and you're still besotted with each other after 10 years? Uh, You know, there is a problem, though, with this in as much as you have made your world very small, Alex, because you enjoy each other's company so much. There's a lot of people thinking, "Mm, smug, but you um, have not sort of... uh, made your circle wider so that you can cope because it's slightly a problem of your own making and it's a little bit codependent uh, because you need things, you need other stimulus, you need other people, you need to have something to bring to the table when he comes back from his work trip. He's fine, he's been doing things away. and So I think when you, you know there's one of these trips coming up, you have to put your big girl pants on and think, Ten years ago, before I met him, I was perfectly fine in my own company. I enjoyed doing things. I stimulated my brain. I didn't mope around. I didn't eat junk food, alcohol, or obsessively compulse about certain things. So plan it. Make sure that you have a plan, that your days are filled. It sounds like you don't have children, Alex. So you've just got you to worry about and your fun and your happiness and all the lovely things that you'll be able to tell him when he gets back. As a, as regards to the obsessive compulsive behavior I think you might need because it's a habit it's a habit that we get into and it's in your gift to break uh it's not loneliness per se Alex it is panic it's fear and panic that is fueling this so maybe go and get some CBT again interesting things to talk about interesting things to do unlock different areas of your mind it's just you've got into this I want to call it a rut. It sounds wonderful, but it is a rut because if you can't function when he's away, this is not good. You have to be able to function alone without getting depressed. And it's in your gift to do, Alex. You must try and plan and think about your previous self and... Tell your husband about it. Tell him what's happening and he'll maybe try and help. I'm not sure. Graham, what do you think? Well, firstly, I'd say Alex is kind of dismissive of their own problem, and you, you shouldn't be because this, I think this is a real problem. And it the is good very thi- real. Yeah, mm. and I think the good thing is that Alex has recognised it. Alex has spotted this behaviour and, and you know, seen that it's destructive and damaging and all those things. So that is a great start. It's great that Alex knows that this is what happens to them when the husband goes away. Um, and it's something about being... I think in the beginning... You know, Maria's right. You you have to you have to change something. You can't just kind of sit at home moping, 
hoping you feel better. I think you have to artificially change things in your life. You know he's going away. You can plan. So, I I mean, is it crazy to do things like um, tell your husband, when you're away, I'm going to... And it, I don't know. It could be sand the floorboards in the back bedroom. It could be clear out all the kitchen cupboards and reline them. And da, da, da. It could be any old thing, but it means that you 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 will be embarrassed. If he comes back and you haven't done it, you'll be embarrassed. So it kind of forces you to do the job. And, and also, it'll just occupy your mind while you're alone in the house. Is that a sensible thing to do? I think it's quite sensible. Well, yes, of course. It is a sensible thing. But I, I like the notion of sanding the back bedroom. I, we don't know if she's got a back bedroom, but I like it. Well, um, the good I, thing is, I, I, well, well, like, I just thought the back bedroom was a good place because then she, if, it, if she messes it up or he messes it up. I, I don't know. Is Alex a man or a woman? I don't know. But I, whoever I they are. I think a woman. I'm, I don't know. It's hard to I tell. think a man. But... But you know, if you found if you found your the piece of you know your two sided jigsaw, uh, it's no good if that single piece can't function alone. The single piece still has to have its own picture and its own life. And I think you've known this, Alex, for a long time that you are too dependent on each other. Perhaps you know, I'm sure he misses he misses you, your husband, and so. You know it. You've written to us. You say it's a first world problem. It's a very real problem. But you've done the first thing, which is I want to change this. Yes. You've made I mean, that uh, effort. Yeah. I want to change this. And I think you might need some help. Look up some CBT. Tell people about it. Maybe get a therapist. I don't know. You've got into a habit over 10 years of being too reliant. And the response is part one. And actually, a big response to this. A lot of people recognise what Alex is talking about. Uh, Claire in Edinburgh says, Dear Grim Maria, I used to feel the same way as Alex when my partner would go away to sea and I would start obsessively worrying and believing everything was doom and gloom when he wasn't with me. I then became a nurse and now I am too tired to care if he's away at work now. Plus, I sleep better at night when he's not here. Maybe you need a job that makes you more fulfilled or, actually, Claire, I think maybe a job, but also maybe just be more tired, Alex. Maybe, you know, go to the gym, go running. Make sure that you're exhausted when you get home and you just go to bed. Uh, Johnny from York. Alex needs to plan and fill their time when their husband is away. However, part of that will mean making changes when your husband is around. Oh, yeah. Take up a hobby of your own and then you'll make new friends and have something in the diary when your husband goes away without having to try. That is true. You can't just switch it on and off, can you, when the husband's away? Uh, you've got to be this person all the time. Alex, what an amazing thing that you have such a wonderful relationship. I kind of thought that too, Ronnie and Teddington. I thought it was sort of sweet. Uh, they, were, they were so codependent. I celebrate you and your hubby. It seems to me that finding another interest or even hiring a life coach to support you in changing your habits could help you stop the self-sabotage and start to honour your values, which will motivate and inspire you. Maybe try music, choir, or learning a line dance with a good friend. Enjoy experimenting and treat it as a game. Be playful and lighten up. It is what it is, and the real question is... How do you want to be when your partner is away? Wishing you well, you can do this. Uh, I think I get this, Re Alex, as I went through the same as much a younger person. This is from Margot in Stony Stratford. Even though your relationship is great, there is that anxiety that your husband may meet someone else, a subconscious feeling perhaps. Also maybe jealousy that he can have a good time without you and that he is having a better time than you. Have a conversation with him about this. It will never get resolved otherwise. He needs to reassure you. It will eat away at you. Good luck. Graham's Guide. Dear Graham and Maria, My father sadly passed away three years ago at 73, after a very long and happy marriage to my mum of 60-plus years. His death was after a very short illness, and my mum and I cared for him at home. Since then, my mum has actively looked for a relationship and for the past few years has had this, in inverted commas, male friend. Now, I know my mum may want a companion to go out for a meal with or to the theatre, but this friendship is not just a friendship. We only found out about her friend by chance. My mum tells me and her, my brothers that there's nothing to tell. There obviously is. Over the past few months, they've had holidays abroad together, weekends away together. The thing that bothers me most is the lies and deceit. She's like a teenager. When she announced she was going abroad with him, it was at a family gathering on the anniversary of my dad's death, which I felt in very bad taste. 
She's obviously having a full-blown relationship with this man and me and Ray, one of my brothers, really can't get to grips with it. She's changed beyond recognition. Other family members support her relationship, but they're not in our position. Our dad would be mortified. Hmm, interesting use of words. And me and my brother feel that. I know it might sound like we're being selfish, and I know we are, but we're really struggling to come to terms with this, as it's all moving quite fast, and we're worried about the future and what may happen next. My mum has arranged for us all to meet him at the end of the month, but this is only because we're having a family weekend away, and she's bringing him. To be honest, I'm not looking forward to it, as we're staying in, her, in a hotel, and they are going to be sharing a room, which is awkward as she still hasn't told us that he's coming. I only know as we had to buy tickets for an event and she asked my daughter to buy two for her. My mum is by no means lonely. She still works, has a large family and lots of friends. Please help us to feel better about this difficult dilemma. And that is from Susan in South in North Shields. I'm so sorry. Susan in North Shields. Now, I'm slightly conflict, conflicted about this, Susan, because I understand how you feel. You had helped him and your mum care for him at home during his very short illness. But I also want to say to you, Susan, be happy for your mum. I mean, your dad isn't being replaced, but all that love she had for him needs to go somewhere. It's a bit like me talking about the puppy. You know, people say, oh, it's too soon. I'm going to wait three years. Why? There's love in your heart. There's there's no, you know, you don't get love in a small amount or in a set amount. You have an excess of it and it produces more the more you use it. I'm very, very sure of that. So if the reverse was true, Susan, if your mum had been moping for three years and, you know, didn't want to go out and was lonely and depressed and... It would be worse. Think about that. She's happy. She's found someone. She's actively looked for someone and she's happy. She hasn't told you this because she knows clearly that you disapprove. That's why she's been deceitful and acting like a teenager, because she's trying to save your feelings. But if you let her know, Susan, that you're just happy that she is happy and that you want her to... Life is very short. You want her to enjoy the rest of her life. It doesn't mean that she doesn't love your dad still in the way that you do. And you say your dad would be mortified. I mean, would he? Your dad isn't here. They had a lovely, wonderful marriage filled with love and he's not here. Imagine the pain for your mum of that. Of course she wants to find someone else. So I think... I just think, Susan, that... You need to just try and not be a child about this and be happy. Graham, what do you think? I totally agree. I mean, it is about being an adult and recognising the adult in your mother. That she's, you know, yes, she's your mother, but she's lots of other things too. And, you know, she was a wife, uh, then she was a widow and grieving, and now she's going out with someone else. And I think what odd is of course when people are in relationships they do change subtly kind of the mix of you know you plus the other person alters both of you and I think your mother when she was with your dad she was one person yeah. and now she might be a slightly different person and this guy could be influencing her in ways and so hard as a kid to see your mom become a slightly different but she's not really a different person she's just you know exploring different parts of herself and so i there's no kind of fix for this it is no. going to be really strange and weird for you to see your mom with someone else but it is down to being an adult and you know it as you know your father He's gone. He isn't here anymore. And that's awful and that's sad. But you kind of making your mother feel guilty and making her sneak around like a teenager isn't going to bring him back. It's not going to make anything no. better. So you, you, uh, if you want to continue having a relationship with your mother, you better embrace this or you're going to lose her. You, I mean, and, and it is as bad as that, I'd say. Yeah, I think it is that thing, isn't it? You see your mother in one way. She has been there constant for you all your life and then a really bad thing happens and then you see that she's got another element to her, which has always been there, but you haven't seen it because yeah. you're the child and now, who you know, I want, I want, I need you, I need you just to be for me. And you're seeing, you're having to share now, Susan. And 
you know, that's what life is. Life and, changes, yeah. it doesn't stay static. And, you know, she might be dressing slightly differently, she might be wearing makeup, you know, all those sorts of things that will just freak a kid out. But you're not a kid, Susan. Uh, you're a big, grown-up lady. So, uh, yeah, roll with the punches, I'd say. Our responses, part two. Uh, hi, Graham. I know how hard this is, as I lost my wonderful dad three years ago, but I really hope my mom does find someone to love again. However many friends, however many friends and family you have when you lose someone, you still lost that someone to do nothing with. Oh, that's a sweet expression. It's devastating. Tell Susan to watch the series Mom on iPlayer. Okay. Uh, it's brilliant and shows how moms are perceived by their grown-up children. Hopefully it will help Susan and her brother to look at themselves and appreciate that their mom is a person too. Thank you, Vic in Ipswich. Harry from Yorkshire writes, I find myself in the exact same position. However... I got over the feeling I had by talking to my mother's new partner. We lost dad to cancer 11 years ago and it's taken a long time for my mother to feel happy again. Despite this big change being difficult for the kids, think about what it must be like for the mother. She needs the love and support more than ever. It does get easier and being there for your mom is the best thing. Make the most of now. Your relationship with your only parent is more important than how you feel about a new boyfriend. And that is true. You don't want to damage the relationship with your mother. Uh, your mom isn't just your mom. She's a woman who deserves to have fun and be happy. Don't make her feel guilty or make this hard for her. Celebrate her new chapter and how lucky she is to have found someone to share it with. Watch The Change on Channel 4. So that's Mom on iPlayer and The Change on Channel 4. Thanks, Helen in Wilshire. Uh, Stuart in Leeds, however, says, I don't think Susan's devastation is in any way misplaced. At this stage, her and her family know nothing about this gentleman. It is likely that he's going through the same grief your mom is as an older man. Your mom would almost certainly never want you to think your amazing father is being replaced in any way. However, I do wonder whether she is being discreet because of the concern she has that she will upset you. Being positive and open to her new friendship may change the dynamic of this conversation. Whilst I know you've said she is not lonely, humans need to love. Denying someone that connection could only have regrettable consequences. Talk openly and give your mom the chance to start a new and exciting chapter after what seems like 60 years full of absolute joy your father helped you all to create. Thank you very much, Stuart. Thank you, everybody, for those really thoughtful responses. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. She's here. She's back in the tower. Martha Collison <laughs> Show Chef. Hello. Hello, Graham. How are you? I'm very well. Did you bring back uh, souvenirs from Lincoln? Uh, was... A tiny, tiny cathedral? Anything? Anything? <laughs> I was very tempted to take the dog. To be fair, he was very oh. nice. Oh, Dougal, <laughs> Dougal the dog. I'm obsessed. He was beautiful, and he was just yeah, he was just so cute. Uh, so the good news is, I mean, the good news is uh, two bits of good news. One, you're back in London, uh, marvelous, great, uh, lovely. Welcome back to the tower. But uh, you're also going back out on tour again. I know, next weekend, off to another location. I can't wait, we had such a good time. It's so lovely meeting different people, cooking in their kitchens, meeting their families. So looking forward to next weekend where yeah. we are doing barbecues. Ooh. So uh, so basically, don't apply for the tour unless you've got a garden, I'm guessing. I feel like that's 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 wise. <laughs> or a friend, a friend with a garden will do. It doesn't have to be your own garden. <laughs> so if people want to be, if people want to be uh, the, the family next week or the group of friends or the flatmates or somebody living alone, uh, let's not prejudge anybody, uh, how do they apply to be the, you know, the destination on your tour? So you are heading on to socials and looking for the link for verdonradio.co.uk slash win and you can find the form to enter and we're looking for the best barbecue tip this weekend. So a tip that makes your barbecues a cut above the rest or something, a little hack that just keeps everyone happy whilst they're around your place. And then we'll be choosing our favourite one and heading, packing our bags and heading to them. Oh, yes. Oh, you know, good tip. If anybody has a good tip on how to clean a barbecue, that would be good. Oh, that would yeah. be a great one. That would be a great yeah. one. Send yeah. those over. Yeah, I feel like I should have one, but I don't. Sorry, I can't share one. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm talking about this tour. Oh, the aroma, the aroma of what you've made today. Uh, tell us all about it. So, yes, this is a dish with quite the aroma. It is a beautiful fresh pasta with prawns, crab, peas and creme fraiche. And it's by one of my favourites, uh, Diana Henry. 
It is. It's by Diana Henry and it's from her weekending menu from the Waitress Weekend paper this week. And it's there's three beautiful recipes, a starter, a dessert, and this is the main course. And it's only a 10 minute cook. So a nice, quick and easy one full of really premium ingredients to really kind of make an impact. And tell me this, does this break rules? You know, because people are funny about... Uh about seafood and, and pasta and then using dairy. Is, the, is this a, a, a rule breaker? I mean, I think it's it's on the edge. I feel like because creme fraiche is so citrusy and it's got such kind of a yogurty freshness to it, it works really well with the seafood. But there's no cheese on top, you'll notice. Just a little dusting of black pepper and parsley because I feel like cheese and seafood is where we get into that into that murky area. <laughs> yes, I remember being in Italy and some friends of mine asked for Parmesan on their seafood oh, pasta. And, oh, ooh, that wouldn't have gone it, down well. It did not go down <laughs> well. Uh, right, Martha... Uh, tell us all about it. How do we make this? Uh, we're not making the pasta. We're just buying fresh pasta, right? <laughs> yes, we're buying the fresh pasta. <laughs> That'd be a lot longer than 10-minute cook if we were having to make the pasta from scratch. For like tagliatelle as well, because that's what we've used here. Lovely. Ribbons of tagliatelle is the pasta that you have to kind of make, cut up, and then hang over like clothes hangers and hang it up in your house for a few days to dry. So we're not doing that. You'll be pleased to know. Good. So we are starting off with the peas. We're just taking frozen peas. This recipe features loads of really lovely ingredients. We've got prawns, crab, peas, but they all need to be cooked properly. I feel like people often go wrong with pasta when they think, oh, it's pasta. Just chuck it all in one, one bowl, one pan and hope, that it, hope for the best. <laughs> but we're going to treat each ingredient with the care that it deserves to hopefully bring it all together at the end to sing. So we start with the peas. They want to be boiled for two to three minutes and then drained, plunged into cold water and set to one side. Then we are sautéing a little bit of garlic, obviously. The backbone of every good pasta dish is garlic. So mm. a bit of garlic in some butter with some olive oil. Then we're adding in our crab. You can buy this in Waitress, little pots of ruddy-picked crab so you won't find any shell, which is lovely. <laughs> so it's the white crab we're using. That goes in, along with our peas, some lemon juice, the creme fraiche. Mix that until it's nice and warm and then set that to one side. We are plunging our fresh pasta, so the tagliatelle, into a pan of bubbling salt water and I always always salt your pasta water because otherwise your pasta will be a bit bland so make sure you put a bit a couple of teaspoons of table salt into your water oh that much yeah it needs to taste like the sea Oh, wow. Oh, Salty I always, as the I always sea. just like, I always take a little pinch. Oh, so I should be a bit more generous with my um, salt and my pasta water. I mean, I would recommend, and particularly with a recipe like this, where we're not going to be putting parmesan on at the end, which kind of can compensate for undersalted water. You really want to make sure you're getting it right with the pasta. So it's nice salty water, pasta goes in. Then we're taking a little frying pan and then we're cooking these lovely jumbo king prawns. So Diana recommends drying them really thoroughly beforehand, which is a great tip because it means they'll get a little bit of a crispy crust on the outside without going dry the prawns go into the frying pan literally just a minute on each side until they are opaque and a little bit pink then they go in with your peas creme fraiche garlic all that crab lovely stuff the pasta once it's cooked reserve a little bit of the pasta water because you can use that to add a bit more lubrication to your sauce a bit later on but you put all the cooked pasta in with those creamy ingredients toss it all together add a bit more lemon juice to taste a little bit of your pasta water if it's looking a bit dry then you want to serve it straight away to make sure those prawns don't overcook and the pasta doesn't congeal but it's a really delicious dish and even I could cook this, I think. I, I, I really, that sounds very achievable and delicious. Great. Uh, <laughs> if you'd like the full recipe, you can go to waitress.com slash showchef and you can get that recipe or indeed all the recipes prepared by Martha. You can also check out the visuals at our socials at Virgin Radio UK. Uh, so just before I let you go, uh, Martha, let's just remind people of uh, the tour. Remind people again how to enter and exactly what they win. So you are going to be winning a little visit from myself and Virgin team to your house. We're bringing the ingredients ingredients with us to cook you a lovely barbecue dish and a dessert and we will be sending you the barbecue everything you need to make it a really special day to spend with your friends and family a bit a little bit later on wow so they get they, the barbecue gets left behind and lots of food and everything gets left behind you get it all you get it you all get it will it set all. you up for summer really nicely yeah plus you plus a little chat with me on the radio what's not to like stay there Reverend Richard Coles will be filling me in on his second novel A Death in the Parish but first we have the lovely Mel Getroich I am how are you I'm sorry it's a bit echoey where I am I'm in a I'm in a rehearsal space my darling Oh my God! You can't stop working. Have you? Uh, before we talk about what you were on to talk about, I must say, have you fully recovered from Liverpool and Eurovision? No, I am still in mourning. Are you? <laughs> are you? Are you? 
Well, honestly, I really felt for Liverpool as I left on the Sunday. I thought, oh, poor old Liverpool, because the circus has left. I mean, the biggest circus in the world has left town. It must have been so weird there on the Sunday and the Monday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I ended up in uh, my hotel bedroom with my two oldest friends from school, three in a bed, literally. Three (laughs) three girls, three ladies. (laughs) In in a state of déshabillé, shall we say, mm. at four thirty in the morning, it was absolutely hilarious. We now, see, I had to get up and do this on the Sunday morning. How so, was that? How was that? It was fine. I did it, but it meant that I didn't stay. Did you manage to get to the party? Because the party was in. It's got a big aircraft hangar somewhere underneath the building. Yeah. And absolutely, and I sort of did that classic thing to to my pals. I said, look. We'll drop in, we'll have a couple of drinks, and then, you know, we'll we'll have a sort of nice, calm one, maybe go back to the hotel, to the bar. We were the last to leave. <laughs> the, the guys had the brooms out and the bin bags. Hoovering around you. Uh, your, well, all, all I'll say is your butter churner will live long in our memories. It was, it outdid the original, I felt. It was very, very, very strong. Very, very oh, well. strong. I don't quite know what happened or why it happened, but it happened and it was it was an extraordinary... I mean, the vibe in that arena was just... <gasps> it, it was really just... was. It really was. <laughs> if, if you could bottle it. Hey, listen, we must move on and talk, talk about uh, very funny performances. Uh, Mel will be giving another very funny performance in The Crown Jewels. Now, oddly, this is starting in the West End and then going on tour rather than the other way around. I know, I know. We've got basically two weeks to go. I think we do our first preview, uh, £15 tickets still available for the previews, uh, on the 7th of July. We're at the Garrick Theatre for two months. So I'm going to be in the ruddy West End for the summer, which I'm really excited about, actually. It's going to be, it's going to be a lovely thing. And now, because it's weird, I ha- because until you were coming on the show, I hadn't heard about this. And actually... It's a, I mean, it's so posh in terms of comedy. I mean, written by Simon Nye, directed by Sean Foley. You, I mean, an amazing cast. Uh, tell us who you're on stage with. So we have the lineup is Al Murray, who is our leading man. Have to say, absolutely brilliant. He's playing two roles, one of which is King Charles II. It's all set around the time of King Charles II, so it's a sort of, it's a new take on on a restoration comedy, basically. We've got Neil Morrissey, absolute diamond of a guy. Joe Thomas from Inbetweeners. We've got Carrie Hope Fletcher, the West End powerhouse legend that she is. Um, And two fantastic newcomers, um, Adonis. Yes, he's called Adonis. He's amazing. Adonis Adonis Sadiq and uh, Tambi Verma um, also joining us. It's, it's, I I mean, it's a bit of a whirlwind. I'm not going to lie. Um, but it is very, very good fun, and there are a lot of laughs. I hope. Um, I because- I love that some parents uh, looked at a baby and got up. No, we're calling that Adonis. That's what we're going. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot to live up to. <laughs> and he's got the most extraordinary moustache. All the guys are growing out their facial hair uh, into extraordinary shapes because it's obviously Charles the Second's time. So. There are wigs, there are enormous costumes. And as you say, I mean, Sean Foley is kind of the, the comedy director. He's really, really good. Keeping us on our toes, Graham, I'm not going to lie. It's quite nice. Tell me this. So it's, it, I mean, obviously it's a comedy, uh, mm. but it is, it is based on a, an actual historical event. Yes, I had never heard of it. I'm not going to lie. Um I've forgotten one of the main people that I should have mentioned because it's all actually about him. Colonel Blood, um, who is a real character from history, uh, actually pulled off a heist successfully and stole the crown jewels. Uh, And he's played brilliantly by Aidan McArdle, who's a superb actor. He's like the kind of proper actor in the bunch. Obviously, Neil Morrissey as well. Um, But he's, he's the kind of rock which we're all slightly sort of clinging to, like comedy barnacles. Um, <laughs> he's, he's very, very good indeed. Um, yeah, they, they, managed, they managed to pull off this incredible heist. They got into the tower. They sort of sweet-talked their way in. They nicked a couple of pistols. 
um, and basically made off with the crown jewels. It's the only time, obviously, it's ever happened. Uh, and who, who is Mel Gedroich giving in this uh, play? Oh, my darling. Well, it's I'm, I'm doing two characters, which is always a joy. Oh, Meryl. Uh, I, <laughs> <laughs> the, the first is Mrs. Edwards. Uh, she doesn't have a first name. She's Mrs. Edwards. And she is the wife of the jewel, uh, the keeper of the, the master of, of the keeper of the jewels, played by Al Murray. Uh, so that's very, very good fun. Quite earthy. All she wants to do is set up a gift shop and make loads of <laughs> out of the crown jewels. Uh, that's her kind of main raison d'etre. And she wants to see her daughter married off. So that, that's good fun. And then, oh, my days, I've just had the costume fitting. I'm playing a French noblewoman who's part of a sort of diplomatic uh, entourage at the court of King Charles II. The costume is outrageous. It's so, so good. You could literally house a family in it. It's it's so large and so ornate. Um Yes, so that's I, I'm also thinking your French accent is going to be worth the price of admission alone. <laughs> I, I'm not holding back, Graham. You know me. You know me. The old. <laughs> Mel Gedroch. Uh, Mel Gedroch stars in The Crown Jewels, a brand new comedy play starting in the West End on the 7th of July. Crownjewelsplay.com. That's where you get information. I say a brand new play, Mel. Is it a brand new play? It's a brand new play. It is very much a brand new play. And you mentioned him before, Simon Nye. What an absolute legend. Um, he wrote, of course, Men Behaving Badly and more recently The Durrells. Uh, he's just a really cracking good egg. One of those amazing comedy writers who's totally modest, you know. Very, he's in the room the whole time. He's adding gags. I've just been given a new speech. Quite excited about that. Um, he's literally working all the time, right up to the last minute. And is it one of those, because obviously Men Behaving Badly, Neil Morrissey, he has such a yes. history with him, are you all a bit kind of, is, does Neil Morrissey kind of call him Psy and things and make the rest of you feel a bit like newbies? <laughs> there were, it's a really good point actually. I noticed there was a special hug going on. I might have to investigate that. There was a hug at the end of the day yesterday that none of the rest of us got. I will, I will look into that further. Um, <laughs> But um, no, he he is he's an absolute joy, and I, I think I'm right in saying that Simon Nye has not has he ever had a play on before? I know he's written plays, but I think he's best known, obviously, for his kind of TV yeah. script writing. But oh, he he turns a gag! My goodness, he turns a fine gag, and it's furious. And for you, it must be quite exciting because, you know, when you're giving your French noble lady, suddenly, you know, if Simon and I is laughing and thinking, ooh, I'm, I, Mel's brought something to this, I'm now going to go away and do something else to this character. Yeah, that must be quite exciting. Very, very much so. I literally got a, a speech plonked into my inbox uh, this morning. And I have to say, I was on the tube thinking, oh, oh, darling, that's that's very exciting. Uh, but learning it is another matter. I don't know how you are with learning scripts um, <laughs> these days. Find it takes quite a lot longer than it used to. I'm not sure I could anymore. I mean, I think back to drama oh. school when we learned kind of, you know, plays all the time. I don't think I could learn a play. Or certainly, I'd never feel, I, would, I might learn it, but never feel confident that I knew it. I think. That's the that's the slight worry. I've got an app. I found this brilliant app um, where you basically um, recite everyone's lines into the app, and then um, you learn it by dropping out your own lines. So the sorry, this is this is rather dull, but uh, this is my life at the moment. Uh, so you sit with your phone listening to the words, but with your own drop your own dropped out, and then you insert them. If that that is genius. It's good. It is. Yeah. Oh, technology, our friend. And which, uh, the tour, do you know, if I asked you off the top of your head, do you know where you're going? Right. I know we're doing <laughs> Cardiff, Canterbury, Manchester, and the, the mighty Milton Keynes. Ah, <laughs> very good. I don't know if it's in that order, but it's a nice little bijou tour from mid-September to mid-October. Uh, those four places. So a week in each place, you can get to know the environment, you can kind of chill out, you can 
do the kind of do, do the things that happen in, in those places. Um, uh, yeah, it's going to be good. It's going to be great. There is talk about renting a house altogether. <laughs> is that you talking about that? <laughs> you know me so well. <laughs> There is talk about that, like like those sort of uh, YouTuber, the youngun, those weird. What are, they called? Those, are they called trap houses? I want to call them trap houses. I don't know what they're, they're called. called. Your kid, your kids will know. Ask them. Uh, you know, I, you're talking to a very elderly gentleman on Virgin Radio. We we don't know. <laughs> but I'm imagining it could be a little bit like that, but with older people in it in Cardiff. Um, <laughs> It's, yeah, it's yeah, it's going to be and fun. You're you're going to organise things, aren't you? I can I can sense that oh. you're go, you're going to have things every day. You'll have things. Hey, I've booked us all a pottery experience and things like you that. Know, honestly, I'm, as we speak, I've been looking Canterbury. What do we do? Do we go to the Apple Press place? Uh, do, we, <laughs> do we? Which day do we do the cathedral? All that sort of stuff is going to be going on. Absolutely, the culture vulture. I'm going to yes, absolutely. There will be wow. trips, there will be tours. Oh, Carrie Hope Fletcher is listening to this and <laughs> blocking your number as we speak. <laughs> literally, literally. I sat with the young'uns in the group and with Neil Morrissey, this is absolutely true, a couple of days ago. I think there were five of us, two oldies, three young'uns. Neil and I were chatting about chutney for, for, 20, <laughs> for 20 minutes. And the young'uns, they're so sweet. They were pretending to be interested and I could see the light had gone off behind the eyes. We must be careful that we don't bore them too much. Yeah. Poor, poor Adonis. Poor Adonis. I know. <laughs> he wasn't christened for this. Uh, <laughs> Mel Gedroich, uh, the crown jewels. It kicks off in the West End on the 7th of July. It sounds brilliant. And uh, you uh, will be so brilliant in it. Yeah, I can just, I can see it now. Uh, oh, how, how funny wow. and good you're going to be in it. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Take care now. Back to rehearsals. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Right, time to meet my second guest of the day. When his first novel, Murder Before Evensong, came out, it was a publishing sensation, sold like hotcakes. Now his second is in the shops. It's called A Death in the Parish. His name is the Reverend Richard Coles, and he joins us now. Hello, Richard. Hi, Graham. How lovely to hear you. I like the bit where you did all right in a Cockney accent. What? (laughs) <laughs> exactly that uh, so now this is the last time I spoke to you you'd got your lovely cottage your perfect cottage in the perfect village you were settling down to kind of a leafy retirement you know huddled around the aga and now this publishing the writing thing's happened you must be busier than ever oh yes I've, I've just come back from book tour actually I had a very gratifying book tour the length and breadth of Britain and I had a lovely time but I'm booked mostly for cathedrals now, Graham, because, I don't know, overlapping magisteria or something. So I sit in a cathedral, usually talking to the dean, who's someone I've known for 20 years, while um, the the kind of Venn diagram of people who go to cathedrals and people who like my murder stories sort of turn up and we have a nice time. Quite often they bring their Dachshunds as well. Of course, yes. They're very popular in the Cosmo and Hilda. Uh, Now, uh, Canon Daniel Clement, he is your kind of... uh, canon slash detective um did you i mean obviously when you started the first one you thought oh i this might have legs was it easy to come up with the the second story or did you ha- already have it in your mind oh yes i already had it in my mind i mean this is it's going to be a series and i've got a sort of fairly clear idea about uh possibly where it's going to go and that's partly because i was a vicar myself graham for such a long time and so you don't really have to search for stories because stories beat their way to your door like uh, amazon deliveries <laughs> well, oh, right. well oh, somebody else's oh, door, perhaps. Yes. Oh, oh yes, hopefully like more that. reliably than that. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 now I feel a fool because when I was reading this, I thought, oh, I get that this is obviously a prequel because for some reason I did not remember that Murder Before Evensong was also set in kind of the eighties. Uh, have you leaned into the period more in this book? 
Well, I think, no, what I didn't want to do was to say it is 1988. What I wanted to do was sort of drip feed detail because um, I thought it would be more fun that way. And also it meant I could talk about Celine Dion doing the Eurovision Song Contest and uh-huh. Spangles and that kind of thing. So, and, and also there is something eternal that, or rather something that appears eternal about the pastoral English scene of a you know rector in his country parish and an aristocrat in the big house. And I'm interested in the sort of fixedness of that, because uh, the more fixed it feels and the more dramatic it is when it's disrupted by murder, but not just murder, but also social change. I mean, the 80s, as you will know very well, Graham, was, saw enormous social change in Britain, especially in matters like sexuality and relationships. And I wanted to look at how that affected, Not you know, if you want to write about that in the big city, there are plenty of ways of doing that. I was interested in how that happened in little places, quiet little villages, because it had its impact there too, of course. And I didn't want to sort of give too much away about that, so people wouldn't make assumptions, I think. And you do write about some of those bigger issues, and also there's a very, I, I loved the, there's a kind of a, uh, I, this isn't a spoiler, but there's a, a a bit at the end which is sort of philosophical in a way about kind of the difference between you know uh, policing and and being a vicar that you're both kind of you know caring for the community but in very different ways. Well, yeah, I mean, partly I think it's because every vicar is ex officio a detective because you quite often are confronted with a situation and you ask what a detective asks, which is why the hell did you do that? To, to why did you do that? You know. Uh, and so I was often asked myself the same question. So my brother in real life was a police detective in the Met, who's retired now. So he would often kind of swap notes. Um, but I, and, and I think what I'm really, the detective thing that interests me is, you know, you often see something that seems recognisable and familiar, and then you just notice a tiny little break in the pattern, like a kink in a Venetian blind. And I feel that would annoy you as much as it annoyed me. <laughs> but, but, but what's that about? What's it doing there? And when you begin to unpick that a little bit, you begin to see the outline of perhaps a hidden story and sometimes a darker story. And those stories sometimes erupt into murderous violence. Well, you know, because you've written about it too so beautifully. Well, no, here's the weird thing, though. I, I, What I like about your books is that, but you know, you don't follow the formula. In, no. uh, in I remember your first book, I was talking to you, and I was saying, you know, I was reading this for so long, thinking, is it, I mean, it's called Murder Before Even Song. <laughs> Where's the murder? And I thought, oh, that must have been, you know, your first book, and uh, da, da, da. no, second book, again, we're about a third of the way through before there's any whiff of a body. Oh, I know my publisher is so cross. And I'm writing the third one at the moment, and I mean, the murder seems even more remote. Now, I, I think it's partly because I really like the characters and I like the social comedy, but also, you know, people say cosy crime, which is a bit of a misnomer because crime is rarely cosy and murder never is, actually. Mm. But I think what they mean by that is they want this settled world to suddenly be turned upside down. But you need to establish that world, I think. And also, for it to be turned upside down, you need to know what's at stake. Because what we really want, I think, is why crime fiction appeals to people, is we want reassurance. We want someone to come along, figure it out, and make it right. Of course, life is never like that. Um, but uh, the strange thing, Greg, there's a huge, I'm sure you know about this, huge um, sort of flourishing of crime fiction in Britain in the late 1930s. And I think that's because people looked ahead and saw a darkening world, and they needed that reassurance. And I wonder if the reason for its buoyancy now is perhaps related. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. Way to bring way to bring us down. <laughs> and then Richard Coles predicted there'd be a world war. Uh, and it all happened. Um, Richard, you were never tempted, were you, to, to kind of, you know, because so many of those bands got, got put on those kind of retro nostalgia tours around America and things. Were you ever tempted? Well, the reason for that, Graham, I'd love to tell you that it's because they wish to recreate that, which makes us feel so nostalgic for the 1980s. But usually it's HMRC, actually. And I had a good manager, so I was escaped, uh, I've escaped that particular problem. Um, I, I don't know. I, th- I, I mean, listening to that, it's amazing to listen to it. I think it's the best vocal Jimmy Somerville ever recorded. It still gives me thrills. And because of that, I quite like to leave it pristinely where it where it is. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. And aren't you lucky you're in a position to do so? Well, uh... quite so. Yeah, exactly. So, but now you're not going to tour with Comiards, but uh, you've just done your book tour and then you're doing another tour kicking off in September. Is this right? That's right. I'm doing a three month theatre tour of uh, practically, I mean, practically every bus shelter in Britain is going to see me. And what uh, are you doing? What, 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 what people see when they get to show up? I walk on stage. Uh, I, oh, sorry, Pongo. Pongo. 
I walk on stage. I talk about this is how about uh, Paul's the dog. That's the thought of it. I walk on stage. I talk about myself. Um, I walk off stage. I have a cup of tea. I walk on stage. I talk about myself a bit more, and then people ask questions. Sounds good to me. <laughs> well, I, I mean, it, it's. Um, I think people are sort of interested in my life, Graham, because it strikes them as quite a curious one with some surprising twists and turns. And so, they, they. I think what they really want to know is why did a pop star become a vicar? The really interesting question, though, is what was a vicar doing being a pop star? I think so. I go at it from the reverse angle. Well, I do think that's interesting because presumably to you, your life isn't that surprising. Well, exactly. I mean, it's just what happened, you know, and you don't, you know, one thing after another. But I think if you sort of step back from it and try to write it up or explain yourself, you... I mean, I thought, Graham, if my if I got my CV, I would just consider it the work of a fantasist and call security. <laughs> it just doesn't seem very likely. But, I mean, it was just what happened. And I was in places where stuff happened and I was fortunate and sometimes unfortunate in being around when it did. I don't know. And tell me this, do you miss the kind of day-to-day uh, pastoral care, that that element yeah. of being a, a, a vicar? Yeah, I miss it very much, actually. I, I'm, I really love my favourite thing about being a vicar. I'm a great job for a nosy man is that, you know, you get into all sorts of situations with all sorts of people. Um, I, what I really miss is being part of the of the fabric of that community. So I was in Finder for 12 years and I baptised the kids and I married parents usually in that order and buried the grandparents and went to the school and did the panto and the cricket club and the pub and and I loved it and I miss it very much. And tomorrow morning will you be at church singing kind of too loudly? No and I'll tell you why because it's um, my friend's birthday tonight and we're having a big old knees up and I've got a house full of people staying and I don't really think anyone's going to wish to attend the lively orisons of God first thing in the morning I'll do it later. Fair enough. And tell me this: Are you are you very like? Are you on a break from writing now? Or no, you you're on. You're in the middle of book three. It sounds like. Yeah, yeah. So I'm well into book three, and I know what book four is going to be. So I don't know about you, Greg, but I find with these things momentum is important. So the day I finish a book, I start chapter one of the next one. Wow, that's oh no, I could not do that. I'm really? Very, oh no, I'm very much uh, wet rag on my head. I will now lie in this darkened room for some time. Oh, so I do yeah. that too, and I just dictate it to a secretary <laughs> like Bob Cartman, but you know. Yeah, one of your dogs is a dab hand <laughs> on the laptop. <laughs> uh, well, we look forward to book three, but in the meantime, people can enjoy uh, Dan- Canon Daniel Clements' second outing, A Death in the Parish. It's out now in hardback. So lovely to talk to you, uh, Reverend Rich Calls. Enjoy your big bash tonight, and we'll talk to you along the way. Take care now. Lots of love, Graham. Nice to talk to you. Bye, 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 bye. <laughs> That's us for now. Thank you so much for listening. You can catch me every Saturday and Sunday from 9.30 on Virgin Radio. And make sure you're up to date with all of our goings on at Virgin Radio UK on all of our socials. I'll be chatting to you very soon. Bye-bye. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Virgin Radio.